SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program this Friday, the 12th of May, the National FVPLS Forum has expressed concern over the chronic underfunding of First Nations Family Violence Prevention Legal Services across the country. And this has continued in the 2023-2024 federal budget. To learn more, we'll be joined by Wayneta Dewey, chair of the NFVPLS Forum. We also have a selection of stories shared by NITV. From NITV, we'll hear how the treaty process in Queensland has just picked up momentum. We also explore the nation's women's, the First Nations Women's Summit that just wrapped up its proceedings in Canberra yesterday. In the program today, we also talk fashion with Wiradjuri woman Denny Francisco, an award-winning fashion designer who is kicking goals. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio. And this Friday afternoon, we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Indigenous Voice to Parliament No Campaigns Merge and Pledge to Lobby Migrant Communities Opposition Leader Peter Dutton Delivers His Budget Reply And Ukraine's Counteroffensive to Recapture Russian Occupied Territory Delayed group campaigning for a no voice in the voice to parliament referendum says it will be lobbying migrant communities in the lead up to the vote. This week, two groups that have been campaigning for a no vote decided to march to form a new alliance called Australians for Unity. Warren Mundine and Senator Jacinta Price will be its spokespeople. Mr Mundine says targeting migrant communities will be a major focus for the no campaign. 50% of the population of Australia is either born overseas or their parents are born overseas. And so that's a massive amount of the Australian uh, electorate. So we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be stupid not to be targeting those groups of people and working with other groups of people as well. We'll have an Indigenous approach, we'll have a, uh, we'll look at those migrant communities and work with them. Uh, And then we'll work with the broader Australian community. An inquiry has been told about 20% of Indigenous 
indigenous children reported to authorities over safety concerns before their birth were removed from their families within the first three months of life. The Victorian figures from 2021 have been revealed in evidence to the state's Euroch Justice Commission. Commissioner Sue Ann Hunter told the hearing she was among many Aboriginal mothers who were worried about unborn notifications. The state removed 21.5% of Indigenous infants in 2021, compared to just 13.5% for non-Indigenous children. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has criticised the Labour government's cost-of-living measures, labelling it a banned aid fix. It comes in his budget reply speech indicating that Labour's budget measures will fuel inflation and make life harder for middle-income earners. Mr. Mr. Dutton was also critical of the federal government's approach to the NDIS housing and migration policies. He says there are millions of Australians who are struggling to pay their bills and there is an urgent need to ease their stress. The inflation rate in our country is higher than any G7 nation and the problem with inflation, it's coming out of Canberra and the government's decisions in this budget will keep your interest rates higher for longer, which is going to have a negative impact on families and small businesses. Meanwhile, Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the opposition is trying to divide people with his commentary on the budget. Peter Dutton needs to put an end to this division. Now, Peter Dutton is a divisive figure, but he's not a credible figure. Peter Dutton takes his cues from Tony Abbott and Scott Morrison. Everybody's moved on from Tony Abbott and Scott Morrison, except for Peter Dutton. Uh, His strategy is to divide Australians, to pit Australians against each other in the aftermath of this budget. Our budget is about bringing people together, support for the vulnerable, support for middle Australia and key investments in opportunities and future growth in the economy. Uh, That is our priority as a government. Tasmania's government is set to lead a minority group as two Liberal MPs are set to quit the party. Bass member Lara Alexander and Lions member John Tucker will sit on the crossbench and continue to represent their electorates as independents. Both MPs have expressed concerns about both parties have expressed concerns about future debt surrounding Hobart's $715 million Macquarie Point Stadium. In the U.S., uh, House, Rep- House Republicans have passed a sweeping bill to build more U.S.-Mexico border wall and impose new restrictions on asylum seekers. It comes at the end of coronavirus ret- restrictions on asylum, known as Title 42, which has allowed the country to quickly expel migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border for the last three years. The new rules will stop migrants from crossing illegally and encourage them instead to apply for asylum online through a new process. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says chaos is expected at the borders for a while, but it is a challenge the government is ready to tackle. It is no longer the case that individuals can, on their own, reach the southern border of the United States. They have to place their lives and their life savings in the hands of ruthless smugglers that exploit them and ruthlessly do so. And we have not only a security obligation, but a humanitarian obligation to cut those smugglers out. And that is indeed what we are doing. 
The New South Wales government is set to hire hundreds of new graduate nurses and midwives. The 520 frontline staff will begin working in Western Sydney later this year, beating previous record intake of 383 graduates. It comes as part of a men's government's goal of hiring more than 1,000 new graduates. Premier Chris Mintz says each nurse and midwife plays an important role in helping the state's public system to deliver appropriate care to patients. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says Kyiv's counteroffensive to recapture Russian occupied territory has been delayed. UK officials have confirmed that they will send long range storm shadow missiles to Ukraine in preparation. While British Defence Secretary Ben Wallace wouldn't confirm how many would be sent, he says Britain will donate the missiles to help push back Russian forces. President Zelensky has told the BBC they need more time. Yes, we're still expecting some things. They will reinforce our counteroffensive. And most importantly, they will protect our people. We can advance with what we've got and I think we can be successful, but we will lose a lot of people. I think that is unacceptable. We need to wait. We need a bit more time. The leader of Russia's Wagner Group says the Ukrainian president is being deceptive, maintaining Ukraine's counteroffensive campaign is already underway. The Kremlin has warned Britain against providing Ukraine with long-range missiles, saying such a move would require an adequate response from their military. The United Kingdom has issued a warning of its own, cautioning Russia against further attacks on Ukraine, which it says could prompt them to donate even more weapons. Britain's Defence Secretary says they are supplying the long-range missiles to Ukraine with the intent they will be used within its sovereign territory, implying they have received assurances from Ukraine that they will not be used to target inside Russia. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov says they are not pleased. We have a very negative attitude. It will require a relevant answer from our military, which will make the necessary decisions in this context from the military point of view. Back home, Trade Minister Don Farrell says Australia's years-long trade dispute with China won't be resolved overnight. Senator Farrell has landed in Beijing, where he will push for tariffs to be eased on Australian barley, wine and lobster. Last month, Beijing agreed to an, to, expedi- to an expedited review in return for Australia suspending its World Trade Organization action. Mr. Farrell says progress has been made on, local, on coal and cotton, but he is tempering expectations. What I'd like to do over the next uh, couple of days is continue that process of stabilising our relationship and work through a successful uh, pathway for the resolution of all of our outstanding uh, trade uh, trade uh, differences. Australian band Voyager has made it to the final top 10 in the Eurovision music competition in Liverpool, England. The path band scaled through with the 80s-themed song Promise in the semi-finals battle. Voyager's lead singer Daniel Estrin says the band is excited to be representing Australia and is positive about the outcome of the competition. Australia has such a wonderful history of bands. Um, you know, a, a lot of great artists and a lot of great bands have come from Australia, so... Why not Voyager? 
We promise you it's going to be all right. So I think that's the message for Australia staying in the competition. And to sport, former Hawthorne coach Alastair Clarkson says he's appalled the man chairing a panel that's investigating historical allegations of racism at the club released details of the process to the media. Lawyer Bernard Quinn Casey has released a statement updating the media on the review which was called by the AFL. Clarkson says he's been denied procedural procedural fairness. When the, the guy who's heading up the, the actual process actually violates the very confidentiality that he said that we should all abide by, I mean, how can we trust that that process is going to be fair? And it hasn't been fair for the whole eight months. Heaven forbid, where, where's this going? And uh, also in sport, uh, the Rugby League's uh, Melbourne Storm have unleashed a 24-16 defeat against the Brisbane Broncos at Amy Park. Brisbane captain Adam Reynolds has been cleared of serious injury after he left the stadium in a neck brace. The veteran halfback hit his head after diving in an unsuccessful attempt to ground a loose ball for a try and lay motionless on the ground. It means he'll miss next round's clash with premiers, the Penrith Panthers. And now having a look at the weather around the country this Friday afternoon, Brome, sunny 32, Perth, mostly sunny 23, Adelaide, possible shower 19, Melbourne, partly cloudy 17, Hobart, similar conditions and 16 degrees, Albury, Wodonga, sunny 18, Canberra, mostly frosty. 18 degrees, Wollongong, sunny 22, Sydney, similar conditions with the 23 degrees, Newcastle, sunny 24, Brisbane, showers 24, Townsville, partly cloudy 27, Cairns, a shower 228, Alice Springs, sunny 22, Darwin, similar conditions, 32 degrees, and the Torres Strait Islands, a sunny day ahead and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. TV radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1 pm or anytime online. I'm Bertrand Tungandami and you're listening to NITV Radio, broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, we have a selection of stories shared by NITV, including the Queensland Treaty process that's just picked up momentum. We also explore the First Nations Women's Summit. On NITV Radio today, we also talk about fashion with a deadly Wiradjuri woman and fashion designer, Denny Franco Francisco. But first, now that the federal budget 2023 has been delivered, a crucial budget failure is being denounced. And that is the underfunding of services to curb family violence against First Nations women. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. I'm joined by Wynetta Dewis, Chair of the National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services Forum, to explore the 2023 federal budget and its funding for family violence prevention. Welcome to NITV Radio, Wynetta. Thank you, Bertrand. Hi, everyone. Now, as I just mentioned, we're catching up just a few days after the announcement of the 2023 federal budget, but the National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services Forum is not satisfied with the budget, especially in terms of addressing family violence against First Nations women and children. Yeah, I think the concern um, from the National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services Forum position is that domestic and family violence is ever-increasing 
and uh, with the budget announcement and the funding that was announced for the Family Violence Prevention Legal Services Program, the $68 million, which is actually uh, $34 million per year, that's ongoing funding for the sector. So that's not any increased funding. And um, so I just want to really make that clear. It's ongoing current funding. And we really need an injection of funds into our services because, as I said, it's ever-increasing. If we have a look at the stats that are out there, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are the highest rate of proportion of domestic and family violence um, rates. Um, they're far greater hospitalisation of First Nations women. The victims are continuing to be forgotten about and we have our women that are, are, are continuing to suffer in these situations and uh, are dying. I saw the figures in your press release. You just said that rates of violence against First Nations women are highest in Australia. But it's not just in Australia. On a global scale as well, the numbers are just uh, staggering. Uh, and, uh, yet no additional funding to address the situation. And uh, the only funds allocated are just a carryover. That's exactly right. And for us to do the work that we need to do, which is a holistic work, it's not just legal work. We also do non-legal support. So we support families holistically. And that's why our um, the work that we provided, it meets that community need. Community, those victims come to us because they know they can get that wraparound support, but we need investment to continue to do that work. So say that there's a lack of clarity in terms of what the funds in the budget are allocated for. Yeah, so we would have seen that there was obviously budget announcements, um, you know, that there was in particular, I, I know that I mentioned $145 million allocation over four years to support activities which address, um, you know, safety concerns for First Nations women and children. Also, you know, there's $17.6 million over two years to deal with family safety initiatives. And there's 23.2 million over four years to support families impacted by violence. And they were looking at three uh, sites, sorry, they were looking at seven place-based programs. However, there's no detail. We know nothing about these initiatives or the activities. That's not good enough. We're on, on the front, front line, you know, we're there working with the women day in and day out, the children, their families. For us to be able to better support them, we could utilise some of these funds and be able to um, really um, support our, our clients a lot more. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, the $145 million allocated over four years to support activities which address immediate uh, safety concerns have they specified what those uh, safety concerns are? Uh, I guess, would it be like things like uh, homicide pre- prevention? What do they mean? Again, there's no detail, and that's something that we would like to further for clarification on as well. What are the safety concerns? My thoughts are that it's the crisis response, you know, those who are needing to uh, escape um, quickly from a serious situation. Um, and all of those support services and mechanisms that would need to be um, there and available for a victim to to escape quickly. Um, but again, as I mentioned, there's no detail, so we need further clarification. 
Just a quick reminder to our listeners, the NFVPLS provides culturally safe, trauma-informed practice for service delivery for First Nations victims of family violence. And we are now discussing NFVPLS's concerns that this situation is not adequately addressed in the 2023 federal budget. Now, Weneta, did you have a word with the minister in charge? And uh, if you did, what did they say? So there's this always been ongoing dialogue. I mean, we've been in operation now for over 25 years. And over those years, the Family Violence Prevention Legal Services have, has always been underfunded. Uh, we've gone from different government agencies. We've had to go through those uh, challenges as well. Uh, we've adapted and modified our model to meet, to meet community needs. So this has been an ongoing discussion with government around increased funding for our sector because we know um, how to support those victims. Uh, we're a specialised service. We're culturally appropriate to support the needs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And so it's really about government now, uh, you know, being serious about wanting to create some change and investing in the FVPLS services who are doing the work. And are you planning to talk to the Minister again, considering the current uh, budget situation? Mm. So we'll be calling for a meeting with Minister Rishworth, obviously, uh, with the work that she's doing with the First Nations women. Uh, so we'll be calling and asking to have a, a meeting with her, uh, with the FVPLS uh, members to really address some of these concerns that we have um, and also to uh, find out more detail around, you know, the, the First Nations Action Plan as well. We also will be having ongoing conversations with the Attorney General as well as NIAA, who also are part of the agencies that we work with as well. Now, can I throw in a question on voice to parliament? Because in the backdrop of this budget announcement, uh, the general debate in um, uh, the whole country revolves around uh, the voice to parliament with the yes and no campaigns uh, both uh, now underway. What is the posi- what's the position of uh, NFVPLS on voice to parliament? I guess having a voice to parliament would help amplify First Nations women's uh, message to parliament. For the family violence prevention legal services, our focus is on family violence prevention and reducing the rates of violence. Uh, we have 16 members nationally throughout Australia, um, and each of those members operate slightly differently, but fall within the FVPLS program. So the position that we take is is not a yes or a no. We're, we're more around informing or making sure that First Nations people and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are well informed about the voice, uh, what that would mean, and also then allowing them the opportunity to make their own informed decisions. So it's for us, it's about creating awareness. Uh, but as I said, you know, for us, the focus is on family violence and really addressing the needs of our First Nations women. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's uh, reasonable to let people vote with their conscience. Now, before I let you go, Aneta, any final thoughts? For the National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services, it's really about time to now seriously look at how we can address this issue of domestic and family violence. This has been going on so long. We have a national agreement around closing the gap where the measure there is to reduce domestic and family violence by 50% by 2032. Now, we've got a long way to go 
in, in achieving that target. And what we need is buy-in from government to help us to address those issues. We, uh, as I mentioned, at the forefront, we're frontline service delivery um, organisations. We are at the coalface working with women and children and families who are at this crisis, you know, uh, situation in their life around domestic and family violence. So we really need government to act. We really need government to invest in us and the work that we do. Weneta Dewey is chair of the National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services Forum. Thank you very much for joining us on NITV Radio today. Thank you. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And now, as promised, our selection of stories shared by NITV. And now, the real works begins. That's the reaction from First Nations groups in Queensland after the state parliament passed its landmark path to treaty legislation. The bill clears the way for treaty talks to start and for a truth-telling inquiry to reconcile the past. The past. Tanisha Williams reports. A moment in history met with applause. At a regional sitting in Gimoy, Cairns, the Queensland Parliament passed a bill reshaping the state's relationship with its First Nations people. For 200 years we have attempted to render invisible a culture that has lasted 60,000 years. For the past will not be silenced and our future will not be wasted. The morning after, recognition of a major step towards treaty and truth. Oh, this is a beginning. It's like I said to Mob yesterday, I said, well, you know, it'll, it'll feel like a party for what we've just done because now the hard work really will begin. The laws will establish a First Nations Treaty Institute. The governing body will support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in developing a framework for treaty negotiations with the Queensland government. A truth-telling and healing inquiry looking into the impacts of colonisation on Indigenous peoples is also part of the plan. That inquiry will run over three years. To also see that support from both sides of government unanimously uh, gives me... um, gives me a great sense of, uh, I guess, hope and ease because of the, uh, for what I know, that what, that what the bill will present or the legislation uh, presents for our people. The Premier says work on the pathway to treaty will begin immediately. But First Nations people have been calling for this for generations. But here we are, it's a new day, it's a new dawn for Queensland. And now the work really begins. A new pathway to a better future. Tanisha Williams, NITV News. Now, a landmark gathering of First Nations women from across Australia has unveiled a bold new plan for gender justice. The culmination of the three-day Wayani Utangani Women's Summit in Canberra is designed to give women and girls a greater say over policies that affect their lives. NITV's Emma Kellaway was there. 
Over the last three days, we've heard from more than 70 speakers and presenters. More than 950 participants have attended over 50 sessions and events. That work has all been leading towards the establishment of a new national framework for action and an institute for gender justice for First Nations women. Today we heard the details on how that body will help Indigenous women and girls have input on the policies that govern their lives. The first time in this country that we will have a dedicated, independent, autonomous First Nations Gender Justice Institute that will include research, research in communities driven by First Nations women and their partners on the issues that matter. The Institute will definitely give agency to helping people work within their communities, but also importantly, I think people will feel empowered about having different conversations in their communities and, you know, not just the conversations, but leading into action. We also heard from the youth delegation who put forward their own statement on the issues they want to see action on. So these are certain issues that were in our communities across Australia, social and emotional wellbeing, um, education, access to services in rural and remote areas, um, it also talking about domestic and family violence, climate justice, um, financial independence um, and education. To put together a statement of what we need and what we want in our future and in our lives now. Um, and I feel like it was heard and accepted. I know that we're in safe hands. When we listen to the communique from the youth and their thoughts, their feelings, full of emotion but determination. After speaking with people here this afternoon, there is a real sense of empowerment and hope that the work done here this week will have a real impact on First Nations women as people get ready to go home and continue that work in their own communities. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. Gradual woman Denny Francisco is the founder and designer of fashion brand Ngali. She's a successful fashion designer and winner of the National Indigenous Fashion Awards in 2021 and 2022. Denny has previously spent time as a fashion director in Los Angeles and has also created a children's clothing line in Australia. She has also been part of Country to Couture and IFP Pathways. As nominations for NIFAS 2023 have opened, Denny Francisco caught up with NITV Radio's Sharka Pekova to share her story, her journey into fashion, her labels, and the NIFA Awards. I started Billy Cart Clothing with a colleague of mine, Neve McCall. That was when our children were probably in that age group. And uh, we did it through a direct sale method, which was probably today it would be the internet or the e-commerce version where we took the product directly to consumers. Mm-hmm. Is it still running? No, it's it's not. Uh, so that business uh, closed in 2000. We were manufacturing all of our clothing in Australia at that time. Then we had a lot of competition for imported children's clothing and so on. So um, you know, finally we made the decision to close the business. Mm. Well, and now you have a new, or not so new anymore, Nagali, a fashion brand. And in an interview, you said that you founded uh, this brand in 2018 with the aim of taking Indigenous Australian artwork off the walls and out of souvenir shops and onto quality garments, celebrating and sharing First Nations culture in the process. 
Can you please tell us more about this? How does it work? How can we imagine your models? So exactly that. I mean, we, we have a, um, so many talented First Nations um, creatives and artists scattered throughout the country. And one of the things that I was aware of is that, you know, sometimes um, so many people don't get to see that incredible artwork, either because they're in very remote areas or um, they need to turn up to art galleries and so on. So I was actually thinking, what would it be like if we were able to translate those artworks, not for, to be exact the same as the artwork but a translation of the artwork that then could be put onto uh, fabric prints and then um, made it into uh, high quality garments as you say so that way that we could give more reach uh, for our first nations artists uh, but also to as a way of celebrating culture and and country and supporting the artists communities and and then i guess you know also too with supporting our children's education which is part of what we do through our our sales avenue mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and who is this fashion for where can we uh, see who can wear it <laughs> Yes, well, who can, who can wear it? Look, it, it's really designed to be what we call it to be ageless, um, trendless and timeless. So <laughs> what do we mean by that is that we started thinking that it would be appeal to an audience of, of, say, you know, 30 to 50. It seems like it's more now with the history of our sales and how that happens. It's more 25 through to 75 because the silhouettes are very simple in, in construct because it's the artwork that is the hero and then we don't design for a particular season in terms of it doesn't stop and then start so you don't stop one collection and start a completely uh, new one so that's why we say that it's actually seasonless so that um, it's like having the product that we do is it's kind of on a journey and then it's not really connected to trends, you know, like trends that actually start and then they get sort of in inverted commas out of fashion. So we don't work that way. We just work at having really amazing garments with incredible prints that are really comfortable to wear that you can just about wear anywhere at any time of the year, depending on how you layer them up and how you create the looks yourself around the products that you have. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into fashion in the first place? Look, it's, it's an interesting question. I'm not really quite sure. I think that I've, I've sort of like always had um, an interest in things, you know, creative things. And I guess that fashion is a way of being able to play with that. You know, when you're younger too, you, it's not that difficult to access knitting yarns, you know, to, to knit sweaters or fabrics that you could play around with to create something um, that hadn't existed before. So I think that I really got into it by simply just playing with materials, I guess. Hmm. And what is your inspiration? I think as a First Nations person, we get a lot of inspiration from country, being out on, on country into big, wide open spaces. Um, and there's a, you know, is a beautiful connection that comes from that. And it feels like there's a lot of room for creativity to come to the surface there. And then also to, of course, being really uh, inspired by the artworks and the creativity that exists within you know, our culture and, and all of the, the different types, I guess, of, um, of creatives that do things in different ways, whether or not it's people that, um, uh, that are doing paintings or making accessories or weaving or dyeing. So all of those sort of elements that make up fashion in one way or another are all inspirational. 
Hmm. Were there or what were your challenges when you got into the fashion world? Well, um, I guess, you know, we started in 2000, uh, in September 2018. So perhaps one of our biggest challenges was COVID, which was hmm. um, the challenges of, of many, of course. Um, but I, I think it's, I think as a small business owner, the challenges come with having the resources that you need. So the, the human resources that you need to sort of like help you to bring your vision to, to reality, because human resources or people that you bring on into your business, you know, it costs money to do that. So it's, it's really, um, you know, being able to manage that financial, the financial elements of a startup. Mm. You won the National Indigenous Fashion Awards in 21 and 22. What did that mean for you personally and for your business as well? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question because winning the award had me feel a little uncomfortable. I, I don't think that we do anything on our own. Um, I think that everything that we do is done in one way or another collectively, you know, whether you get inspiration from somebody else or whether you're translating somebody else's artworks, um, whether you're having sort of like discussions that emanate into something that you end up creating by the way of the garments or collections. So it was it was something that I really kind of like had to sit in and it wasn't until I spoke to Lindsay Malay, who was the artist that we were collaborating with or that we still collaborate with, and and he was super excited about that too, that I was able to see it through his through his eyes as well that this was another way for his artwork and his creativity to be to be recognized and that actually had me feel a lot more comfortable about winning the award and it was equally the same but heightened um when we won it for the second year hmm. that's so beautiful well I, i guess this kind of answers my second question why do you think you won like obviously you were the best but you know what do you think in your work that made it stand up Look, I, you know, I don't know that I was the best and that was why I, I, I won it. I don't think so. Um, like we didn't nominate ourselves um, for either of those awards. It doesn't feel that comfortable to do so. So I don't know who was that nominated. I don't know how many people nominated. Um, I, and, I don't, and I don't know how many people didn't get nominated. You know, in terms of um, there may have been other people out there like me who didn't feel comfortable to nominate themselves and then maybe other people, you know, didn't think to nominate them. So because I think that there's so much creativity in our space that I, I think that the award, you know, maybe it could have been won by anybody. Um, I don't know. I, you can tell that I'm actually not that comfortable in um, <laughs> and winning awards. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that's so nice. And what what are your plans for your future? Where can we see your models next? Um, so right now we've just come uh, off the back of Melbourne Fashion Festival where we, we launched our autumn winter range. But next month we, we do have Australian Fashion Week and we have a solo runway. We've been offered a solo runway in that um, in that fashion week, which is actually um, Uh, pretty extraordinary it's exciting um but terrifying perhaps at the same time but what it does do is it gives us the opportunity that if we're putting Nagali product clothing on the runway then you know it gives us also to the opportunity to bring in a number of our other creatives who are doing incredible things around accessories and jewelry and and so on that 
um, really add um, a special uniqueness to what we're able to show on the runway. But it's also to something that we can share with more of our creatives, which is really what makes it more meaningful. Hmm. Listening to you, I'm wondering what's your favorite part of the creative process? It's definitely working with the artworks, the translation of the artworks, needing to do that in a really respectful way, um, envisioning how it might be translated, envisioning what it will look like on the garments themselves, because you get surprises in that. You get these little surprises that come up when you go and go, oh, that looks amazing. Oh, I didn't think of it or didn't see it like that. Yeah, so it's, so it's fun, it's inspiring, and, um, yeah, it's a really kind of enjoyable process to sit in. Mm-hmm. Can we buy your things in shops or how does that work with with garments like this? Yeah, so we're still you know, basically an e-commerce brand. We did have a temporary uh, store at the international section of the airport in Melbourne for a, a little while and we do have some product in David Jones in Sydney. But I guess people do come into our studio in the Docklands in Melbourne uh, to see our product. We don't have a store presence as as such, and you know, maybe one day we will. Well, Denny, thank you so much for taking your time to talk to us on NATV Radio. That's a pleasure. Your community, your conversation, NITV Radio. And uh, that's all for your program this uh, Friday afternoon, coming to you from Nam on uh, the Kulin Nation. I am Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for your company. And also, I take the opportunity to wish you an excellent and safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. People's movement. People's movement. People's movement. People's movement.